Hello, this is former Fox Sports Wisconsin anchor and proud fellow Wauwatosan Jeff Grayson. From my position high in the booth, it appears conditions are good for this much-anticipated matchup. Let's go down to the studio. The action is about to start. It's season four of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Jim Martin, along with my co-host, as always, Chris Beyer. Hello. It's March 2021, about a year since everything really started shutting down. And uh, I haven't had a vacation. I mean, I've had vacation, but I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't done anything since this whole thing started. I mean, we went to a hotel just a couple of weeks ago, just one night so the kids could just swim around in the pool. But so, Chris, have you done any traveling at all? Well, yeah, actually, you know, I just got back from Arizona. Oh, really? So, mm-hmm. Okay. And that was uh, flying, obviously, right? Yeah. Was it busy at all? It was really busy. It was two to a seat. I, I was sitting on some guy's lap. Wow. Well, you know, they probably got to make up, make up for lost time, right? <laughs> when it's like that, you feel obliged to talk to the guy. He, he wasn't having it. No. You no, put his mask on. You put one of those masks on. His headphones in. Just... Yeah, I put the eye thing things over his eyes. Yeah, and right, right. And when you pull back the eye thing, he wasn't liking that. Oh, that's yeah. weird. It's yeah. antisocial. Come it on, was, I'm sitting it... in your lap. <laughs> we could have a little chat, can't we? It, it, it was crowded. Picture like a bus in like El Salvador in 1950. It was kind of like that. I'm picturing yeah, went... the trains in India. Have you seen where they're hanging off the train? Yeah. It was a yep. lot like that. Yeah. Right. When we were out in Phoenix, uh, you know, I was visiting with my folks. I went there with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And what we would do is we would go hiking during the day. And then we'd go out to dinner with my folks at night. First night, we went to this pizza place. And when we got the pizza, our waitress asked me if we wanted Parmesan cheese for the pizza, but not one of those little shaker things. Okay. But she actually like had a block of cheese, you know, to grate onto my pizza. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yep. I thought was a little odd. It'd be like her coming up and saying, you want me to top off your Coke with some Pepsi? Right. Yeah. right. Or do you yeah. want you want a little T-bone with your sirloin? So you didn't care for it, the extra cheese? No, no. I, you know, the next night we went to Applebee's. Okay. And yeah, my folks like to go there. At one point I had to go use the bathroom, right? So I'm kind of wandering around looking for it. And if you know places like this, they've got kind of the bar and then the, the kitchen area. And there's that little path that's really meant for the employees but it's really the best way to get to the bathroom or the quickest way, right? Yeah, yeah. You kind of sheepishly you know, want to get through there, but you're not sure if it's cool. And so I kind of looked at the bartender. He gave me a little wave, like, go through, right? Okay. And I tell you, I felt like a star. Got the wave. I felt like uh, Lady Gaga and the Stars Born where Bradley Cooper waves her up on stage. Yeah, sure. You know, for just you know that moment, I felt like the girl with the prettiest dress at the ball. Sure. I mean, it doesn't take a lot, I guess. <laughs> a little I, wave I, from a bartender. <laughs> Yeah, highlight of my trip. Well, hey, tonight our guest is endurance athlete Ryan Simon. Ryan Simon uh, won a recent edition. Well, we'll talk about this, but he he was, uh, we'll just say, the fastest time for the single speed edition, single speed category of a race called the Tour Divide. It's an annual mountain biking ride that goes the length of the Rocky Mountains from Canada to Mexico. It's about a 3,000-mile thing. We'd like to welcome Ryan Simon to the program. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it. Yeah. 3,000 miles. How long does that take? Uh, you got 30 days to do it. That's, that's the duration of the race. It's not a stage race. It's unsupported. I did it in 18 days and some change. 
Wow. Are you aware, Ryan, that there's more than one speed? They've got bikes commercially available with more than one speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, they they do. But then you're riding, you know, over the tops instead of walking to the top and really taking in all of the glory of all of the mountain passes by walking the last half mile to the top of most of them. Yeah, it's crazy. So 3,000, well, Chris, you exaggerated a little bit. It's only 2,745 yeah. miles. Chris. Yeah, yeah Jim, just for our guest, I thought we would, you know, <laughs> pump right, them up a little right, bit. Right, right. Well, thanks a lot, Jim. All right. <laughs> so um, did you say it's like unsupported? Is that what you said? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, once the clock starts, it does not stop. So, yeah. so you, if you have anything to do, like, I mean, I saw some of your pictures and you mentioned on there that you had like three flats at least, or like one of the pictures was like after you had your third flat. So you are just in charge of your own stuff and you got to patch repair or do whatever you got to do then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. For, okay. for, for sure. Uh, which is why the single speed appealed to me. I know to a lot of people that seems like a big undertaking, but it takes a lot of the mental strain of like, if my bike falls over, you know, your bike packing rigs are, you know, somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds, usually maybe more. Sure. They fall over sometimes they're heavy. Uh, if you fall over on a derailleur, that could be, that could be a big time. And that can happen just, you know, while you're stopping to pee or at a gas station refueling. The most mechanical issue I had besides the flats was I ran a, a front generator hub to a dynamo light that had my charging port, which is how I recharged all my electronics and everything. Cool. Uh, that had a little bit of a short, uh, like day three, day four. So having oh. to rewire that on the fly uh, <laughs> on the side of a mountain was uh, interesting, <laughs> but it was okay. Yeah. Wow. So single speed just means no gears, just one speed. It's kind of like riding a dirt bike, except it's a lot bigger, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. there's not really any rules to the Tour Divide. It's pretty loose. There are some relative guidelines. Uh, some of that is like, you know, if you end up having to get a cassette, you have to get the same cassette that you would replace that had the same gear range and stuff. You have to finish on the same gear ratio that you start on. Okay. So I get that question a lot. Like people are like, how many, how many cogs did you take? You know? And I was just like, it's just, just the one, just the one ratio. That's all you got. Yeah. I saw somebody on, on one of the like forums or something. Cause I did a little bit of like snooping around in your name, you know, um, sure. and somebody said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to see what setup Ryan has, Ryan Simon has, but I haven't heard from him yet or something like that. So, so yeah, like you're saying, I'm guessing a lot of people have the same question, right? Like what, what, yeah. what's your deal? What do you, what, you know, what are you setting up? So I, I ran a two to one gear ratio, 34, 17, which is pretty spinny on the flat stuff. So like later in the race, when you get into New Mexico and especially the last 300 miles of the race, you're kind of spinning your guts up. Oh yeah. Just trying to go 14, 15 miles an hour. Right. But then, you know, even the steep stuff, especially the Canadian portion of the Rockies, there's such a steep grade that I felt like I walked the first two days of the race and I was just kind of like, uh, is this how it's going to be the whole time? Uh, sure. And then Montana was just rough and rugged and beautiful. It kind of beats you up. If you can get out of Montana, though, uh, and I and I kind of knew that. I think your your chances of finishing the race go up by like sixty percent. So like, wow, yeah, I had the like Montana Idaho border like I was fixed on for about a week. Okay, trying to get there. Where in Canada does this start? So it, it starts at the uh, the Banff YMCA, usually the second, I think it's Saturday in June. Uh, and there's 
some unofficial people that go up and they're like, hey, just so you guys know, this is not a race. There's no one coming to get you. Uh, we hope you all have spot trackers to hit SOS if you do get in really bad shape or something. But yeah, and then it's just go. And how many people were there at the start the year you did it? Uh, give or take 200-ish. That's what it's been for the last several years. Uh, it hasn't run the last well, it didn't run last year because the border was closed. Hmm. Uh, I think this year they're going to run it from the border. I haven't heard a whole lot if have or how many people will be there this year, but the last four or five years, it's been give or take 200. Yeah, so when you start out, there's a bunch of people around, 200 riders, and then things get spread out. Were you by yourself most of the time, or did you see other competitors frequently? Uh, I dealt with some really bad altitude sickness the first couple of days and was not making great time. And I was around a lot of people, especially day one, day two. Uh, you would only go a handful of hours without seeing people really. Uh, and then I made a big push to kind of get away from people and try and chase back down the front group, uh, that had kind of broken away. And then I, I was pretty much by myself, especially riding single speed. Even if you come up with, uh, on people with gears, you usually don't stay together very long because as soon as the hill starts, they're dumping gears and I'm standing up on my pedals and grinding as far as I can or vice versa. You know, you're going downhill and then, you know, here comes somebody like a freight train going by you at 45 miles an hour down a mountain pass. Wow. So is there a route to this race or is it just like you start here and you go to the city and however you get there, good luck? No, there, there actually is a route. So there's a, there's an ACA route an American cycling association route. I think it's called the tour divide mountain bike route. Okay. There's a guy named Matthew Lee. He does a bunch of course recons uh, every year and just like make sure there's some adaptations to hit some single track and stuff that the ACA doesn't go on. It's more or less the same, uh, but there is a, a, a different .gpx file that they give out for the Tour Divide mountain bike race every year Okay, uh, that has historically had to have reroutes in the middle of the race which is kind of interesting since there's yeah. not really a race director and it's not really organized, but right. you're supposed to be going through Santa Fe national forest, but they're having fires. So you're kind of waiting on an email from some guy that's like, Hey, take this road around, you know, fingers crossed right? going through the fire. I don't know. You're out in the middle of nowhere. What about, uh, did you see much wildlife? Is there any fear of wildlife? There is a lot of wildlife. Once you hit, the basin in Wyoming, the big fear of wildlife kind of stops because you no longer have that grizzly uh, thought in the back of your head. They, they mm. kind of stop there. Then it's just black bears. But man, I can't, I can't tell you how many black bears I saw. I almost hit one Whoa. going into Flag Ranch, which is just outside the Teton Valley in Idaho. And I was with this British guy who was about a quarter mile behind me. And he, he stopped and he just thought it was the craziest thing. Like he saw me just literally just go right past this bear and it shot up a tree. And then he was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to take my phone out and take a picture. And the bear started hissing, which neither of us knew bears did. Uh, and we very quickly uh, got out of there. Right. It doesn't seem like a good thing. No, no, it was it was. I mean, you always hear that, right? Like, you know, be careful, keep your distance. You know, when yeah. it happened, I was just like, wow, I'm glad I didn't hit that thing. Yeah, right. It's like he was like, I'm gonna take a picture, and I was like, Ah, oh, well, it's up a tree, and that very quickly was like, Nope, that's the wrong, wrong choice here. 
<laughs> this is a, a bad, bad idea. <laughs> the, the pronghorns were the worst because they would trot alongside you as you were like going down oh. a hill and they would cut right in front yeah. of your bike. And I don't know how many of them that I, I just, I was sure. I was like, oh, this is the one that's taking me out. This ends my ride right here. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's how they mess with you. You know, that's the yeah. thing. That's what they do. They, they're laughing yeah. at, with each other, oh. you know? Oh, they were just like, you know, be in a herd and just like one at a time would dart across you and then like would get past in front of you and like kind of look at his friends like, yeah, I just did that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. You didn't hear him say, watch this just a second ago either. <laughs> right. Watch this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So uh, again, all this solitude out in the middle of nature, there's got to be a lot of times to contemplate a lot of, uh, I'm sure, memories that you have of just being out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, for sure. It was, um, I mean, when was the last time you were by yourself for 18 days straight with your only interactions being at a convenience store with, you know, have a good day. Or, uh, with, a, or with a pronghorn. Or, yeah, yeah, <laughs> talking to the pronghorn like, hey, man, I know you're going to do it. Like, don't do it. Like, don't jump out of here right don't now. <laughs> or hissing bear yeah yeah that's wild so what keeps you motivated what keeps you going it keeps your drive going uh man I, I just love riding bikes and like every time that I would get like what am I doing why am I doing this like I miss my dogs miss my family like you know mm-hmm. uh it was always easy to remember like like what are you doing what's so hard right now that you don't think you can do it like ride your bike that's all you have to do that's all you're doing all day long is like ride your bike every other day of the year of your life. You would be like, man, if I could just ride my bike all day today, nothing would matter. Uh And so like just trying to remember that, like how privileged it is to be able to go out and all you have to do is ride your bike and you don't have to think about anything other than what flavor of Coke am I going to get? Am I going to get vanilla Coke or cherry Coke at the next gas station? Like it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah. Nice. How many crashes did you have? If any, I had two. One was stupid and I wasn't going very fast. Didn't really do a whole lot of damage. The other one, I broke one of my arrow bars, which I didn't realize till a little bit later. I went over the bars. It was one of those where I got up and kind of patted myself like what's broke. Uh, Collarbones were good. Wrists were good. And I was just like, whew. Most of the riding is not super difficult. It's just gravel road riding pretty much up and down gravel road mountain passes but there is some single track stuff that's super fun and it's really far apart so when you get into like the mountain bike uh time it's really easy to forget that you've been riding your bike for multiple days at a time and pretty low on calories and kind of weak so maybe you can't do the same things you could you know do on a normal tuesday yeah not to be morbid about this but did any of your other competitors suffer any significant crashes that you're aware of no no, the Tour Divide actually traditionally has a pretty good track record. There was one guy behind me that I heard that took a pretty pretty wild spill, uh, but I think he was able to limp into the next town. Like, I don't think it was bad enough that he had to be, like, evacuated from the course or anything. But when you're doing a ride like that, it's really easy to just talk yourself out of trying anything most of the time because you're, like, risk-reward, right? Like, well, oh, I could probably ride that. Yeah, but if you can't, what's, you know, what's mm-hmm. the downside? Yeah, you, then what? Worth it. Yeah, right. Maybe the bear can radio out for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's nobody there to help you. Yeah, I mean, we all carried spot trackers that have an SOS button. But okay. Depending on where you're at and where you're located, 
you don't get to choose how they come get you. So if they're like, Hey, we think the fastest way to come get you is with a helicopter. Uh, you're going to put the bill for that. Wow. Yikes. So what kind of training do you do to do something like this? Uh, I have a running background. I enjoy running. It's a quick, easy way to get that, you know, small mental boost every day, but it does a lot for like your overall body strength and, and core strength and stuff, which a lot of times when I'm riding my bike almost exclusively starts to really, really wane. So I tried to be cognizant of that at my shop in Stillwater at Stillwater Summit Company. Uh, I had a hangboard, so I would use that, you know, periodically throughout the day, just do some pull-ups because uh, I knew I was probably going to be carrying my bike, which was beneficial because I carried my bike a lot. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the times when some of the stuff is either so steep mm-hmm. that like if you had a gear, you could ride up it anyway. I can probably walk up mm-hmm. it faster carrying mm-hmm. my bike on my shoulders than you can ride up it anyway. Mm-hmm. Or it's so gnarly and so like, you know, baby head boulder size. Yeah rocks you know in an avalanche shoot and you're not riding up that anyway right even on your best day so like those people are walking anyway too so right what part of your body suffered the most um a lot of people would think your butt no no i i was one of those people that i rode my bike to work every day i tried to ride my bike every day my butt was pretty conditioned and i'd done some longer stuff like i did trans iowa the year before honestly i never really had any butt issues i talk to people all day long about bikes and outdoor gear and stuff people come in all the time and they're like i need a different saddle you know you know i want to spend you know x amount like whatever and i'm like yeah when i did this tiny ride from canada to mexico i rode a saddle from my buddy's bike shop that was in his throwaway bin that when we built the bike we just used it as a placeholder and then i rode it and when a month before the race i was like oh my god i still haven't figured out a saddle and i was like this one doesn't seem wrong. So I wrote it and I had zero issues. So it's just a matter of getting used to it then. Right? Yeah. It sounds sure. like, I, right. I yeah. think, I think a lot of it definitely has to do with getting used to it for sure. Right. Right. Did you have any sponsors for this? I mean, so my work sponsored me and then uh, the bike shop across the street, they sponsored me. They helped me out a bunch. I actually broke my frame. Uh, a buddy of mine in 2016 did the race on a salsa El Mariachi single speed he actually got picked up by salsa and rode it again in 2018 and before he left in 2018 to go do it he gave me his 2016 frame to build up and start making a bike packing rig i didn't really know what i wanted uh fell in love with the bike uh, i had some custom bags made for it and then about a month before or so i actually broke that frame oh. and Oof. and the bike shop across the street and i'd been planning for this ride for almost a year mm-hmm. and i was kind of like this is a bike from, I think it was a 2014 Salsa El Mariachi. And so I was like, I got to have the same bike. I got to find it. And actually the, the owner of the bike shop, she actually had the same bike, uh, her (laughs) prize, you know, single speed El Mariachi that she absolutely loved. And she actually gifted me the frame. Uh, And within 24 hours of me breaking my frame and kind of having this like, this is over before it starts. I'm not going to get to go. Like, I'm not going to find a bike. And even if I find a bike, if it's not the same one, my bags won't fit all my gears spec to this bike uh, within 24 hours that that problem was resolved and gone. (laughs) Wow. That's a cool story. It was a wild turn of events, how that all shook out the bike shop, their district bicycles there in Stillwater, Oklahoma. They're wonderful, wonderful people. 
Nice. And you've done ultra marathons. Is that right? Yeah. So that same bike shop, they have a race called mid South. It's a hundred mile gravel race, uh, bike race. And me and some of the, a lot of the people that I was hanging out with, we didn't, we didn't ride bikes. We just ran. I think it was like the second or third year of their race or maybe fourth. He came up to a couple of us and was like, Hey, uh, I want to include the runners somehow this year. Like, what do you guys think about me? Like doing a 50 K like an ultra marathon addition to this hundred mile gravel race, uh, for runners that want to participate. And I was like, I think that's awesome. I just ran my first marathon. I just started learning about ultra marathons. So I did that. That was my first ultra marathon. And then I ran several more the next year. And then the next year he actually made it where you could do the run and the ride as a category i've been doing that every year since and that's my it's my favorite favorite event of all time ultra marathon that's 50k is that what that is yeah 50k or higher and okay. in, in ultra marathoning there's there's the 50k which is like 31 miles mm-hmm. there's the 50 miler and then 100k 62 miles and then 100 miler okay <laughs> in recent years there have been some People like Candace Burt out in Utah, who's putting together a series of multi-day runs that are 200 or longer. Uh, so distances are just going up and up and up, which is kind of cool. Is there an event out there that you're wanting to do in the future, a different one? Uh, actually, when I came back from the Tour Divide, uh, I got really fixated on the Black Hills Expedition. It's a like 500-ish mile bikepacking race that I really, really want to do, and Hopefully things go back to normal. I can do that this fall. I think it's in September. Is the race across America still going on? And yeah, uh, would you sure. be interested in that? Not really. Just because when people get done with that, they don't seem to have a whole lot of good things to say about it. Hmm. They seem to talk about a lot of the traffic and kind of constantly being in this, this fear of cars. I've never been intrigued enough to really like kind of, start looking into it and seeing if I can make it happen. Yeah. A lot of the things you're talking about are off-road, right? All this gravel mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Stuff. Right. Most of the ultra running is on single track and the gravel riding, which I, I, I skew towards a lot. It's just less traffic. It's a little bit more easy going. It's a little bit rougher riding, but a lot of times more rewarding because you can just pull off on the side of the road and leave yourself I and mean, it's a little different being in wisconsin like i think the dairy industry has paved every single road in this entire state but like in stillwater in oklahoma i was a mile and a half and endless gravel roads i mean you could ride from one side of the state to the other which i had done on gravel roads right and that is the the sector of the bike industry that's seeing the most growth right now yeah and i think honestly it has to do a lot with being away from cars on honestly i think that has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, you talked about how you've been an endurance athlete. Did you ever consider a career? We've had professional cyclists on here before. What about that? Is that something you ever thought about? I got into running because I had back surgery in 2015. And I was 25 and I asked you know, my doctor as I was finding out I was going to have to have back surgery from a ruptured disc. I was like, what can I do to make sure this doesn't happen again? He's like, well, some of it's genetics, some of it's past trauma but then you're also fat i was 215 pounds when i had back surgery and i was like i mean i can't do anything about past trauma and i can't do anything about my genetics but i can lose a little bit of weight i just started running and then fell in love with that and then i kind of wanted to reclaim my health 
kind of, I wanted to push myself and see what I could do. I ran a marathon and that was terrible. And it took me like a week to recover from that. And I was just like, I don't know if I'd ever do that again. And then you forget how bad it sucked and you start looking at the next one. And then, then I find out, Oh, people actually run farther than that. Like, I want to try that. I want to see if I can do that. And then it just kind of goes on from there. Nice. Yeah. We just had a, like right before you, we had an interview with a guy who was a editor of a magazine. We told him, you know, we were going to have you on the show. And he said, yeah, at one point they interviewed a woman. Maybe she's famous. I'm not sure. I didn't recognize her name, but she, she ran across the United States from like, I think New York to San Francisco, he said. And he said she ran a marathon every day. Like <laughs> I've never run a marathon, but the people I know who have, they're in the bed for like a week after, like you said, you know, yeah. how do you do that every day? Crazy. Uh, it's easy. You don't do it on the road. Right. Honestly, I would go run a trail 50K. Like, I love running a 50K because it's just enough exhausting that I really feel like I did something big. Okay. But it's soft enough on the joints that mostly it's your muscles that are taking the beating. Okay. But you're also not so dead inside that you can't hang out with everybody and celebrate everybody finishing and drink beer for, you know, four or five hours after the race. 50 sure. miles, a different story. I'm, I'm super gassed after 50 miles. I just kind of die. <laughs> Do you think you have the ability to stop yourself when your body has had too much? I mean, you're very driven. Uh, are you able to turn it off if you have to? For sure. But I, most of the time for me, it's not like, hey, we're, we've done too much. We need to like back off. It's like a problem solving thing. Like, hey, we're starting to really cramp and our heart rate is really elevated. Like what's going on? Is it a sugar thing? Is it a salt thing? Uh, is it a hydration thing? And usually for these longer, you know, events, you can dial it back. And in ultra marathons, it's not uncommon for somebody to walk for an hour, an hour and a half as they're kind of waiting on their body to come back online for, you know, from eating and, you know, whatever, if you get behind, you know, I've had two shoulder surgeries, back surgery, like not really interested in having any more. So I've always kind of got that in the back of my head, like push and leave everything out there, but not an injury to deal with for a later date, if that makes sense. Do you plan on doing the Tour Divide again? I know this year might be a little different. Is that something you plan oh. on doing again? Oh, my God, yes. Because it, it's made me a better steward for the outdoors, like advocating. Like there are people that come from all over the world to do this route because it's it's really special. Because most of the time, I think it's over 80% of the time, you're on public lands. And that's super, super special. Like there's nowhere else in the world you can string a route for, you know, 2,745 miles, that's, you know, 80, 90% public lands, uh, and they're disappearing quickly. So yeah. it's, it's helped make me advocate for those spaces because they are special. Yeah. Sure. Well, right. with that, Ryan, I want to thank you for stopping on our show tonight. It's been very interesting. Yeah, it's been great talking to you guys. Yeah, we appreciate the time, definitely. Thanks again, yeah. Ryan. Yeah, we'll see you. Bye. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch Podcast for our annual podcast previewing the Tour de France.
You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.